a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Jeremiah is an Old Testament prophet. He lives in Judah, spends a lot of his time in Jerusalem uh, just before and during the time that the Babylonian army invade the land, make it desolate, lay siege to the city. He's there, he sees starvation and disease and death and some dreadful things. And it's particularly hard for him because he spent his whole life telling people this is going to happen. Jeremiah has spent his entire life saying, God's judgment is coming because you have turned away from him. His wrath is going to be given full vent, the righteous anger of God. And it's made him really, really unpopular. So, uh, Jeremiah, you've nicked my water bomb. Jeremiah uh, is not a popular guy. And in chapter 11, he's just discovered that the men of his own town, a place called Anatoth, have been involved in a plot to have him murdered. And that's fairly unpopular. I don't, you know, you might have felt unpopular in your time. Having people plot to take your life is probably as unpopular as you can be. These are people that should know him well. You know, these are the men that he grew up with. He'd have been playing on the streets with them when he was a kid. And uh, he's just discovered that they're out to kill him because they don't like what he's saying. And Jeremiah is a bit angry about that. He's a bit angry because he feels he hasn't done anything wrong. He's probably also feeling quite vulnerable, quite lonely, and maybe a touch frightened too. This is what he prays. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them. They take root, they grow and produce fruit. You are near in their mouth and far from their heart. But you, O Lord, know me. You see me and test my heart towards you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither? For the evil of those who dwell in it, the beasts and the birds are swept away because they said, He will not see our latter end. And God replies to Jeremiah by saying this. If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? For even your brothers and the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. They are in full cry after you. Do not believe them, though they speak friendly words to you. Now you might think, well, that's not the most dramatic encounter with God in the Bible, and it isn't, I've got to be honest. Um, But I can aspire to this kind of encounter with God. When I pray, God speaks. I love that. I love it when that happens. We could look at Elijah on Mount Carmel, but in my experience, that is a once-in-history kind of moment. And if we, if, we, if we want our encounters with God to be fire from heaven and burnt sacrifices and the death of hundreds of priests of other religions, we're probably going to be disappointed on a fairly regular basis. If, on the other hand, what we really want when we encounter God is that when we pray God speaks or God acts, 
then we're going to be regularly satisfied with him. And anything that he does over and above that is a bonus, isn't it? Yeah? Okay, so Jeremiah is this unpopular, cranky, angry, frightened guy, and he's praying things he shouldn't pray. I'm sure Kathy noticed this. He asks the why question twice. Stupid question. God never answers the why question. And he prays a kind of politically incorrect prayer, doesn't he? I mean, I don't think Jeremiah prayed this in public, which is a good thing. But imagine if someone stood up on a Sunday morning, really angry with their boss at work, and prayed that God would just take them out. Kind of, you know, I'm so fed up with this guy. He's just a bully. He's corrupt. Put him in his brand new shining four before and let him have a smash on the motorway. The whole place will be better for that. He just seems like a cranky, angry, out there kind of guy. And yet God meets with him when he prays. He, he prays, he encounters God. Is that because God just works outside the box sometimes? Or are there some things that we can learn? Well, I think there's some things we can learn. I think there's some principles here that will help us. And the first one is this. Jeremiah comes to God with an open heart. And I think this is key in terms of encountering God when we pray. Jeremiah comes with an open heart. When he prays about this situation, one of the things that makes him angry is that he's done nothing wrong. Jeremiah can say to God in verse 3, You, O Lord, know me. You see me and test my heart towards you. Jeremiah is saying, I haven't done anything wrong here. I'm innocent. I've just said the words you gave me to say. Jeremiah is able to stand before God, having dealt with his sin. He's open-hearted. Now, actually, that is unusual, isn't it? Because most of us know that what we tend to do when we're conscious of sin is try and hide it from God. That's our natural reaction. Adam and Eve sin in the Garden of Eden. They do the very thing God's told them not to do. They cover themselves up and they go hiding in the bushes. That's our response. It's not to open our heart to God and deal with it, but to try and hide it. But it's a bit like playing hide and seek with a very young child. Have you ever done this? Have have you... Have you known children who are kind of at that stage of life where they genuinely believe that if they close their eyes because they can't see you, you can't see them? Have you, have you, has anyone done this? You've played hide and seek with kids' eyes. It's so funny. You, you're the one who's seeking. So you stand in the room where you both are and you count to ten with your eyes closed and then you cry out, coming, ready or not, and you open your eyes and they're there in the middle of the floor right in front of you with their eyes closed and their hands over their face just for good measure and there's not a parent in the world who says, well, you're right there in front of me. What kind of game is this? We don't do that. We play the game. Where are you? Are you behind the chair? (laughs) Oh, you're not behind the chair. Where? Maybe you're behind the curtain. You step over them in the sound effect. They're giggling now, of course, just in case you needed an extra clue. They're making a noise. Now, you see, when God comes walking in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day and he cries out, Adam, where are you? It's not because he doesn't know where Adam is. This is God. He's saying, Adam, 
Where are you? Because what he wants Adam to do is confess. He wants Adam to come and say, this thing you said I shouldn't do, I did it. And I don't want to do that again. That's how you deal with your sin. You just open your heart. Say, God, I did that. I don't want to do that again. One of the reasons that Jeremiah can encounter God is because he deals with his sin. He can stand before God and say, you know my heart. Now that's a brave prayer, isn't it? You know, David, Psalm 139, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. That's a brave prayer. Because if God answers it, you have to deal with it. But if you don't deal with it, it just becomes an ever-increasing obstacle. He's also open-hearted in this respect. He's open with his emotions, Jeremiah. I really like that about him. I don't buy into the theory that British men are emotionally repressed. Uh, My experience is that most of us struggle to handle strong emotion. And, And Jeremiah just puts it out there. This is it, God. I am angry. I am lonely. I'm feeling hurt. I'm discouraged. I'm disheartened. It's all kind of there. It's just, this is it. What's the point of trying to pretend to God that everything's okay? Feelings are just feelings, actually. Feelings are not right or wrong. I noticed John a couple of weeks ago was using some Neil Anderson stuff. He's really, really good on this, Neil Anderson. He says, emotions are like warning lights on your car dashboard. All they indicate is that you need to sort the trouble out. But the light is not the problem. If you're feeling angry, that's not sinful. Anger is not sinful. The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. What your anger demonstrates is that there's something going on that you need to sort out. And the problem is we just try and bottle it up. We try and pretend it's not there so often. We don't know how to deal with it or we can't deal with it. So we just kind of hold it all in. But holding your emotions in like that is like trying to bury moles in your garden. They're just going to keep popping up where you don't want them and causing a nuisance. Now we have to learn this is how I'm feeling, God. Now, I always have two or three friends in my life who I can just, this is how I'm feeling. And it's ugly sometimes, and sometimes it's sinful, and sometimes I say say stuff that's wrong. But I just want two or three people to know, this is how I am. You better know me, you know, for better or for worse, good and bad. you, You need to know this stuff. I find that helpful. I don't have just one person, because you're always in danger of, being let down. It happens in the best of friendships they break down. If your one friendship breaks down, where do you go? But neither do I post everything on Facebook. I have two or three friends. I can be honest here. And what I find is, when we can do that, when we can speak out, this is how I'm feeling, it kind of creates the space for God to speak in. When we can speak out, this is what's in my heart, it creates the the room or the opportunity for God to speak in. And Jeremiah is open-hearted in this way as well. When God speaks to him, he takes it on board. And he shapes his life around what God has said. You see, when God speaks to him here, this is not, this is not great news. Jeremiah is praying and he's saying, 
My life is awful. These people are out to kill me. I don't know what I'm doing. Why are you letting this carry on? And God says to him, you think this is difficult, Jeremiah. You wait for what's coming. You think you're struggling with this. I'm telling you, it's going to get a whole lot worse. If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And Jeremiah is so upset that these boys that he grew up with are out for his life. And God says, it's worse than you know. It's not just the people of the town who are out to get you. Even your brothers and the house of your father, even even they have dealt treacherously with you. Wow. That's, That's not what you want to hear when you're upset, is it? But, you know, Jeremiah takes this on board. Now, we can't understand this just from this passage, but he shapes his life around what God makes known to him here. It shapes his relationship with his own family. It shapes his future. God God kind of says to Jeremiah, this is how it's going to be, and Jeremiah says, okay, I'll walk with that. So sometimes when God speaks, I mean, I love it when God says affirming things to me. I'm sure you know what this is like, that that God says great things about how much he loves you, how much grace he has for you, how much he wants to bless you. But when Paul writes to Timothy, he says that the Bible, all scripture, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I like being taught. I'm not so hot on being rebuked. That's, that's not so easy. I quite like being trained in righteousness, shown how to do good things in God's kingdom. I'm not so great at being corrected. I'm sure you know how that feels. I think most of us know how that feels. You know, I have children. Occasionally, I have to rebuke my children. They don't like it. My kids are all musical because they take after Mel. They all dislike being rebuked because they take after me. It's not easy to handle that, is it? It's not easy. But God doesn't do those things. He doesn't say tough things like this in order to bring us down a peg or two or to make, you know, to keep us in our place. No, God says those things. God rebukes us and corrects us at times so that we are thoroughly equipped for every good work, so that we bring him more glory, so that our lives are more righteous. God does it for our good. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. The writer of the Hebrews says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. The test of whether you have an open heart before God when he speaks is not whether you receive his affirmation. It's how you receive his correction and his discipline. Jeremiah takes it on board and it shapes his life. Okay, I think that's my first principle. If you want to encounter God with prayer, you need to come to him with an open heart. My second is this. Jeremiah comes with understanding. Now what I mean by that is, what he's struggling with, we just click on to the next one. What he's struggling with is justice and righteousness. Why is it that when he's done nothing wrong, in fact he's just done what God has asked him, he has to handle this unjust, seemingly unrighteous situation? He could be very, well he is, very angry about that. But he begins with who God is. His prayer starts, righteous are you, O Lord. 
that's where Jeremiah begins. Jeremiah says, it's my knowledge of you, my understanding of you, that will shape how I live in this world. It is not what happens in this world that will shape my understanding of you. So many people, allow, they look at what happens in the world and they say, therefore God must be like this. Jeremiah says, no, God is like this and therefore I'll respond in these ways. He's struggling with injustice, but he starts his prayer, righteous are you, O Lord. Now Jeremiah is fantastic at doing this. I was kicking this around with Mel a couple of weeks ago and she reminded me of what he says, Jeremiah says in Lamentations. You don't have to turn to this, but Lamentations is written after the fall of Jerusalem and all the dreadful things that Jeremiah has witnessed. And he says this, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the ghoul. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. I'm feeling really low. My soul is down. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Jeremiah doesn't let his situations shape his understanding of God. He starts with who God is. And when life is tough, he has to call that to mind. He has to say, this is what I know about you. This is my understanding of you. Everything flows from that. Now, fortunately, that has nothing to do with being clever. That's good news for people like me. Understanding God has got nothing to do with being bright which is good, because I'm not the sharpest tool in the box. Apart from anything, I'm in my 40s. And we all, I mean, we all know, don't we, older people are not so bright. When I was at school, when I was at school, there was no such thing as a star. We weren't clever enough to need it. And if you want to test that theory, forget the exam results. Go find the parents of some young children and ask them, how bright are your kids? Don't ask them if you're in a rush. You can put this, you can do this over coffee afterwards. Just ask them, how bright are your kids? I was, I was watching um, 8 out of 10 cats. I prob- um, should I confess that? I was watching 8 out of 10 cats the other week. They had a statistic, 25% of parents believe their children are especially gifted. And I'm as guilty as the next man. When Hope was young, I thought Mel had given birth to the next Matilda. I w- Do you want to hear one of my stories? We're sitting around a dinner table. Okay, she's about two years old. We're sitting around a dinner table. She picked up a coaster and she started banging it on the dinner table. So I said, stop banging your coffee mat on the table. And she just carried on. So I said, stop banging your coffee mat on the table. Because we all know that the way to win an argument with a two-year-old is to shout at them. You, you teach that on the parenting course, I assume. <laughs> Walk around Westfield on a Saturday. Every parent knows this is true. She looks at me. She says, I'm not. She carries on. I said, I'm watching you do it. Now stop banging your coffee mat on the table. She said, I don't drink coffee. I drink milk. It's a milk mat. I thought, I've just been completely outwitted by my... We are breeding a generation of geniuses. 
I just said, you're absolutely right, darling. It's, it's a milkman. Now stop banging your milkman on the table. So I see, I'm really... No, this isn't about being clever. This is something that the Holy Spirit imparts. When Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, uh, these are the words we speak, not words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. And he says that people who don't have the Spirit of God cannot understand them, they're foolishness to them, because they are spiritually discerned. It's not about being bright. It's a work of the Spirit that we understand God. When Paul writes to the church in Colossae, I love this prayer, so I'm going to turn to it just to make sure I get it spot on. He writes to the church in Colossae, he says this. This is his prayer. From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, that's, a, that's like a prayer spiral. Okay, what he's praying is that the Spirit fills them with knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. That they use that to live lives that are pleasing to God, that bear fruit for him. That's a really strange biblical idea, isn't it? That produces good things in the kingdom of God. And that as they do that, as they become more like Jesus in how they live, they will know God more. And their understanding of him will increase. And because they continue to grow in knowledge and wisdom and understanding, they'll bear even more fruit for him. They'll be even more like Jesus. Their lives will be even more righteous. And as that happens, they'll know him more. This is our reasonable expectation of the Christian life. That the better we get to know God, the more like him we become. And the more like him we become, the better we understand him. That doesn't always work like that, does it? I, I know what it feels like when that ever upward spiral is more like a helter-skelter. And at those points, you have to hang on to the truth about who God is. So if it feels like everything's falling apart, you need to remember that God is sovereign. And if it feels like you're struggling financially, you need to remember that God is your provider. And if you're feeling like you don't quite know where you're going with your life, you need to remember that God is a good shepherd. We have to come to him with understanding if we're to meet with him more often. If our, if our picture of God is wrong, we won't encounter him anywhere near as frequently as a principle. Okay? I went to Asda the other week. I was on a bit of a mission. I got one of my children with me. I, I was a guy in a shop with a mission. You know, I want that. That's, that's the only aisle I'm going to go to. We walked in through the door. She said, Daddy... You've heard that, haven't you? You know you love me, and I'm your special pride and joy. I just said, look, just tell me what you want, I'll make a decision. If, if our understanding of God is that every now and then we can come to him and say, Daddy, we're not going to meet with him. That's not who he is. No, we need to come with understanding that's how Jeremiah came. If you want to encounter God, come with an open heart, come with understanding, come often. It was good to hear Tim this morning say that he's stirred to pray regularly. Now, I don't think this is particularly complicated. The more you pray, the more you will encounter God in your prayers. All right? 
I'm not going to take ages over this point because I think this is, you just do the maths, don't you? Even if it's as simple as this. If, if every 10 times you pray, you encounter God and you pray 10 times a day, you meet God every day of your life. If you only pray once a week on a Sunday when you come through those doors, you only meet him every two or three months. That's, I mean, that's really simplistic, but that's, I think that's true, isn't it? There's some truth in that. The more we pray the more we encounter God in prayer. And Jeremiah prays all the time. I mean, you just have to read what he says to know how comfortable he is in prayer. Jeremiah prays all the time, and he's always encountering God. Paul says to the Thessalonians, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Just pray about everything. Pray all the time. Pray about every situation. Pray wherever you are. People in the Bible pray in the middle of conversations with other people. I mean, I don't know how they do that. I'm always offended when I'm talking to someone and their phone rings and they answer. I'm thinking, you're talking to me. People like Nehemiah, middle of a conversation with a king. Prayer. Pray all the time. God loves that. That's really simple, but I'm going to move on because I just think that's that's true. Can I move on? We're happy with that. Yeah, okay. So finally then... Last one I want to look at is that Jeremiah comes to God expectant. Now, I was struggling for a visual image. And uh, the most powerful one I could think of was a heavily pregnant woman. I'm, I'm not suggesting that to encounter God in prayer, we need to be heavily pregnant. Don't misinterpret the image there. Although, to be fair, in, in, in labor pains, I understand many people call on the name of God. It is painful, isn't it? I've got, I've got a little experience of giving birth. I was there. <laughs> I was there three times, to be fair. And our youngest child was the heaviest of all, and Mel squeezed my hand so hard. I said, That's, I'm not having another child. <laughs> that really hurt. No, I don't, I don't think Jeremiah was heavily pregnant, but he was expectant. Jeremiah is not just venting his spleen in this prayer. He's not just kind of throwing the stuff out there just to get it out there. No, Jeremiah is coming expecting God to meet with him. He's expecting God to answer him. I looked at the word faith in a concordance just to see how many times Jesus mentions faith. I didn't even bother counting because it was more than a page worth and I can't count that high. Jesus is talking about faith, this kind of confidence that we can meet. He talks about it all the time. Two blind people want to be healed. His response to them is, according to your faith, it has been done for you. He, he expects us to come, expecting to meet with him. When Graham talked about prayer a little while ago, he said God doesn't want us to come with this kind of wishy-washy, could you possibly, if it's not too inconvenient, and you haven't got too much else, so it would be really nice if, maybe. No, we can come to God confident. We can come to God expectant that he will deal with us, that he will speak into our situations, that he will speak to us, that he will act. Now, you can't just make yourself expectant. If you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, it'd be really lovely to encounter God, but I've got absolutely no confidence that it's going to happen, you can't think, oh, but I need to be expectant, therefore I am. You can't do that. You kind of have to train yourself to be expectant. How, how do you do that? Well, I, I just do what's good for me. I know that if I spend time 
reading the Bible and praying it through, God will speak to me. It's not complicated. I told you, you don't have to be clever to grasp this stuff. If you read the Bible and pray about it with an open heart, God will speak to you. And the more he speaks to you, the more drawn to it you feel. If you pursue him in prayer and you pray, God will speak to you. And the more it happens, the more you expect it to happen because that's what happens when you pray. That's why I'm really pleased. I am really pleased. I tried to whoop when you said that life groups are starting. I'm really pleased that life groups are starting because my experience of life groups is this. When I gather with other people who love Jesus, he meets with me. I love, I love it. It's where the rubber hits the road. It's where you talk about the reality of life. It's where you can put into practice the things that you've heard on a Sunday. When you pray with people, God speaks. I love the move of the Spirit in our meetings. I love coming here on Sundays, hearing prophetic words and prophetic songs and, and hearing God's word expounded. I love seeing the gifts. I love meeting with other Christians. If you really want to grow in expectancy, spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer, spend time with your church family. Because the more you do that, the more you'll encounter him. And the more you encounter him, the more you expect to encounter him. This is what happens when I do this stuff. Jeremiah knew that. Jeremiah knew that. He knew that if he poured out his heart to God, God would meet with him. He comes expecting that to be the case. Now there's probably a whole load of other things about encountering God in prayer that I could talk about. But I'm, I've only got one crack at it. So I think they're the four from this passage that I, I particularly wanted to bring out this morning. If you want to encounter God in prayer, come with an open heart. Come with understanding. Come often. And come expectant. And whilst it's not a rule book, I think pretty sure thing God will meet with you now while I was preparing for this morning I felt that that God was speaking to me about some particular situations that he wants to meet you in so um, we haven't gotten very long but I just want to say these maybe I'll say these and if this strikes a chord with you there will be some people here to pray with you in a minute all right, we're not, we're not going to make a big thing of this. But I just felt that God wanted to meet with some people this morning in particular situations. So the first one is this. And uh, Naomi alluded to this a bit, a bit earlier on this morning. But if you have never before in your life opened your heart to Jesus, you can do that this morning. Okay, I don't know... If you never have, I don't know why you're here. You might be curious. You might have come with a friend. I don't know. But I, you can be certain of this. If you open your heart to Jesus, if you confess your sin and, and say you're giving your life to him, he will meet with you. He will forgive you and he will meet with you. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you want to begin this journey of knowing God more and having a changed life, you can begin it this morning. All you need to do is come forward in a moment and open your heart to Jesus. There will be people here who will pray that through with you. I also felt that God was saying that it might just be that he's just 
highlighted a sin issue in your life that you haven't dealt with. And, and when you think about it, you realize, actually, that's got in the way. I'm not encountering God. This sin has grown, and, and I just need to deal with it. It's this simple. It really is. Just come and tell him what you've done. Just come to God. Confess it. He will forgive you. He will meet with you. He'll take you on from here. It's okay. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.